and the life everlasting. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been talking a lot about the Reformation lately. It's kind of been, it's been part of our series here, Reformed, for the last three Sundays before this one, and we're going to continue on for two more. We talk about it a lot. We talk about things that happened 500 years ago as if they were absolutely crucial for our life today. And that's a word that I want to talk about for just a minute. Crucial. The word crucial is, word, is rooted in the word crux, a Latin word for cross, where two things intersect. Back in the days of the Roman Empire, crux came to describe a method of execution reserved for the worst of criminals. So yes, the Reformation is cru crucial because it is of the cross. The cross is the intersection of the justice of God and the love of God. The cross tells us everything that we need to know about God, that he is righteous and just and holy and perfect, demanding punishment for sin, holding people accountable for sin and failure to live up to his standards. And meanwhile, he's loving gracious, merciful, supplying the very things that we lack. The rediscovery of the gospel by Luther is not about Luther. It's about the gospel. It's about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the way of salvation, the way to everlasting life. And it's wide open. We certainly don't worship Luther. Far from it. Uh, Luther at times was a cranky, cantankerous grouch, hot-tempered, foul-mouthed, and certainly not what the uber-religious types would picture as being a spokesman for God. In fact, I think that's still the primary Catholic argument against Luther today is that how could a man of God be so crude <laughs> in his language? Luther himself detested the idea of having a church named after him and Lutherans didn't have the moniker Lutheran until we came to America, where the, our preferred terminology was already taken by other people, evangelical. We would prefer to be called evangelical because this means of the gospel, of the good news about Jesus. We are the people of the good news, the people of grace alone through faith on account of Christ. Unfortunately, other people already took our name, and so Lutheran somehow stuck since 1940-something. <laughs> but today we celebrate, on Reformation Sunday, the 501st anniversary of Luther nailing the 95 theses against the sale of indulgences to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. And five centuries later, this moment is still crucial, not because of what Luther did or even what Luther wrote, but because we still today confess the cross of Christ in the face of all human attempts at righteousness. It's something that God does, not something that we do. When we're talking about righteousness, necessarily connected is the idea of justice. If God sets forward a standard and people 
don't live up to that standard, if people break the law, how does he deal with them? If he gave a law and didn't enforce it, he would not be just. And so the big question for us today and for Luther and for Christians throughout history has been how can one measure up to God's standards? Justice demands punishment for sin. And the scriptures make it very clear that everyone has sinned. No one has measured up to God's standard of righteousness except for one man, Jesus Christ. St. Paul lays this out in no uncertain terms in Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. If it's by grace, then it's not by works. If it's by this, then it's not by this. The whole playing field here in Scripture is completely leveled. No one may boast. All bragging rights are toast. There's an old saying that goes back to the Roman Empire. To the victor go the spoils. A lot of times we aim for this kind of thing. We want to do our best and we want to be on top and the most successful, the most pious, whatever most you want to plug in there. We want to win. We love winners. But in the face of God's law, we're losers. But there is one who did conquer all. To the victor go the spoils. And Jesus is the victor. The one who has defeated all the powers of hell, who subjected sin, death, and the devil under his feet, trampled them underfoot just as it was promised that he would way, way back in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus has unshackled you and made you his own. To the victor go the spoils, and you are his treasure. This is exactly how Jesus describes this truth in a couple of his parables. In Matthew's gospel, he teaches the parable of the pearl of great value and the parable of the treasure hidden in a field, one after another. He says that the reign of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who upon finding a pearl of great value, sold all that he had and bought it. Likewise, the kingdom is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field and upon finding it, sold everything he had and bought the entire field. Jesus gave up everything that he had to make you his own. You are valuable to him beyond measure because he paid the ultimate price for you. In our small catechism, Luther picks up on this theme and his explanation of our article of the creed, the creed that we just confessed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, etc. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity and also a true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord who has redeemed me, which means he bought me back. Redeemed me a lost and condemned person. Purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil. Not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood. 
and with his innocent suffering and death, so that I may be his own, and live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Why did Jesus do the things he did? So that you would be his very own. This is most certainly true. What a huge difference this makes. It's not like this discovery is something that Luther had invented. He'd merely uncovered the text of Scripture and turned it loose. He later described what was happening in Wittenberg as, being, as the word being let loose. In 1523, he preached about the word of God. I will preach it, teach it, write it, but constrain no one by force. Boy, if the last 400 years of church history would have just taken Luther's advice to not compel people by force to believe the gospel. I think it may have been in this same sermon he said that if you can't restrain false teaching with the word of God, you're not going to hack it to pieces with iron. You cannot fight your way out of a theological battle. Only God and his word can do the fighting. He said, I will constrain no one by force, for faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself as an example, he says. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends... The word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. The word still does everything. The author of the letter to the Hebrews declares that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God is alive and it kills and it makes alive. When God makes alive, he does so by killing. When he raises up, he does so by first bringing us low. One of my professors, Dr. Kolb, describes the task of preachers as being the hitmen and midwives of God. In the preaching of the law, we are brought to utter despair of our own works and efforts. We come to realize the illusion that is self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. The law is the death of the religion of the self. In the full light of God's law, we realize that we are sinful beyond measure and are unable to free ourselves from the burden of sin. And when we are sufficiently dead, and only then, despairing, of our own works and our own effort, then God steps in with the gospel and brings us new life, everlasting life. It is only the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection from the dead that brings life to those of us who are dead in our trespasses. The proclamation of the church and her pastors is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. This is why we preach both law and gospel. If we've preached all law, you just leave here feeling like a bunch of dirtbags. And the cross of Jesus says that you're more, much more valuable than that. But if we only preach the gospel, a lot of people would say, what do I need that for? I'm a pretty good person. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. 
We preach both law and gospel to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. This message is crucial, as we said before. This everlasting life flows only from the cross of Jesus and his empty tomb. And it is life that is there only for sinners. It's brand new life for the people that realize how dead they really are. This is what the word of God is all about. It points to Jesus Christ. St. John points out in the first in the, the prologue of his epistle that Jesus is the word of God who took on human flesh, crucified for you and for your salvation. Now, I am more guilty of this than most, but in any given Lutheran church on Reformation Day, there is a very high likelihood that the sermon will end up being some sort of very pious history lesson, maybe even tooting our own horn a little bit. In some places, it becomes a celebration of German culture and heritage. We could learn a lot of history if you wanted. After all, that's my field of specialization. It commemorates a very significant event in the life of the Western Church. We could talk about Luther, 34 years old, former law student, Augustinian friar, son of a minor, professor of theology, that he took an eight-minute walk across town from the monastery to the castle church. <coughs> we could talk about the 95 Theses, John Tetzel, the sale of indulgences, popes and councils and so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. And we can talk about this stuff anytime, and I can talk your ear off. There's a time and a place for all of that, but today I wanted to strike right to the heart of what all of this is all about. Why such a movement started in the first place. The whole point of these 501 years of Lutheran history are only for one purpose. To hand over the goods. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Not talk about the gospel, but declare the gospel that your sins are forgiven. Did you hear me? Is this thing on? <laughs> Take your point and finger and point it at yourself. Your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. The Son of God, because of His death and resurrection. You are saved, says St. Paul, and all of Scripture by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is the crucial message, the message from the cross. You are forgiven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I said it in German in the first two sentences. <laughs>